Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Hey, good morning, church. That's a man video right there. All the men, come on, men, give me a clap for a good man video. Woohoo! Welcome to church, everybody. If you're guests, we're so glad you're here. Happy Father's Day. Uh, today, I have the privilege and the opportunity to speak to the men in our house. Ladies, I love you, but today's just not your day, amen? So, um, but glad you came, glad you came. And, and let me tell you, I've, I've never met a, a lady who doesn't want a strong courageous man in their life as far as like if you're married. And so ladies, I promise we're going to build men. You're going to be happy. Amen for that. So, but dads, I'm proud of you for being here. Really, for sure. Uh, you could have been in a lot of places today and you came to church. You, you made a choice to come to church on Father's Day rather than being on the golf course this morning or at the, at the beach or on your boat, you came to church. And for that, I just want all the dads to know I'm really proud of you. We're here to lift you up and encourage you. Uh, sometimes Father's Day is beat up on Dad's Day, and, and that's not here. We're here to lift you up. Matter of fact, I feel like a lot of fathers in some capacity, they feel like they're not doing enough, and they feel like maybe in some way they're not being good enough, and maybe they don't know what to do at times. And and I'm here to encourage the fathers, and, and this kind of ties to where my sermon title is today, because here's what I want you to know. Fathers, you've got this. You've got this. With God on your side, you've got this. It's going to be fine, and God's going to help you do it all. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, listen, I heard this really interesting story the other day. I want to share this with you. Because there was a, a teacher, and she was teaching Spanish in class in she was teaching the students that the nouns are designated as masculine or feminine. And so they were having this type of discussion in their college room. And so one of the students was probably trying to clown around a little bit. And he asked the teacher, he said, well, is a computer, is it gender feminine or is it gender masculine? What is the computer? And so the teacher took the challenge and she said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to divide the room into two groups and I'm going to put all of the, the boys over here and I'm going to put all the girls over here. And each of those groups, you t discuss whether or not a, com a computer is feminine or, or, or masculine. And then I want you to reveal to the class your discovery and then tell me why. So the boys got together and they talked about it and the girls got together and they talked about it. And so the boys went first. The boys said, we have made a decision. And so they sent one of the boys forward to be the, the man of the room. And he said, we've decided that the computer is feminine. And the teacher said, okay, tell me why. He said, well, number one, no one but their creator can understand their internal workings. And they said, and also, the language they use to communicate with one another is incomprehensible to everyone else. Teacher said, all right, I like that. And he said, then the men said, well, listen, this computer is feminine because the smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later retrieval. And they said, and finally... 
we know it's a female because once you make a commitment to one, you have to continue to spend money on it for more and more accessories. <laughs> well, the women said, hold on, back up, back up. Boys, sit down. We have a better answer. And the teacher said, well, what is your answer? And so they sent their, their, their female representative forward, and she said, we believe that the computer is definitely masculine, and we have some reasons why. The teacher said, please share. And so she said, well, number one, in order to do anything with them, you have to turn them on. <laughs> if you all are here for the last two weeks, you understand what that's talking about. Amen. Amen. <laughs> they said, number two, we know this computer is masculine because they have a lot of data, but they still can't think for themselves. <laughs> number three they said because the computers they cause more problems than they solve and lastly she said we know it's a masculine com computer because they said as soon as you commit to one they realized that if they had waited just a little while longer they could have gotten a better model I'm just saying, you all decide. I don't know which one it is. If you have your Bibles, we're going to 2 Samuel. Let's get, let's get real for a minute. 2 Samuel, let's encourage the men in the house. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, in the spring at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and the besieged Rabbah but listen to this, it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. What you're gonna find with these words here is this is the moment that David's life began to unravel. With the simple sentence that David remained in Jerusalem, it means that the king was not where he was supposed to be. He was not doing the thing that he was called to do and he was at home rather then at war, he has lost sight of his purpose in life, and this ended up leading David into sin and into David's darkest days. David remained in Jerusalem. You see, the Bible says that if this was springtime, the time when the kings normally go off to war, in that culture, the battles were not fought during the winter months. During the winter months, they would bring their warriors back home and they would give them a, an opportunity to rest and they would prepare for the next season of battles and they would then have time with their families. And when springtime came around was the time that the kings would then gather their armies and they'd go back out to war. Kind of reminds me of the fall when it's football season, like that's the time you go back out to war. And so this was the season that the kings would take their armies out and they would conquer and they would expand their kingdoms. And David, who was quite capable of, of leading his, his troops to war, we know he was quite skilled. The Bible talks about David's 
his, his times that he had conquered and defeated the armies of the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Amalekites. And, and David knew his purpose. He knew his calling. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. But for some reason, David, it says, stayed home. Instead of going to battle, he stayed in Jerusalem. And as a result of him staying back, Instead of doing what he was supposed to do, he, he walked into a, a sinful season of his life. So the Bible says it like this. This is the next part of the story. So David is supposed to be at war. He's supposed to be doing his calling, but he stays home. He's, maybe he's bored or maybe he's just out of his place. And, and here's what happens. It says one evening, David got up from his bed and, and he walked around on the roof of his palace and from there from the roof he saw a woman bathing the woman was very beautiful and David saw her and and you know David if he had been at war he wouldn't have been looking at her if he had been where he was supposed to be he wouldn't have been on his palace looking out maybe this beautiful woman she assumed that everyone was gone and she felt free to bathe in the open, we don't know, but what we know is David was on the roof when he should have been at battle, and David saw her, and he sent for someone to find out about her, and this began his journey into a place of sin. It says, the man said to David, her name is Bathsheba. Now, when I read that, I wondered if her real name was Sheba. It's all right, it's all right. Maybe the writer's like, hey, let's give her a nickname, Bathsheba. I don't know. So she was bathing and David saw her. He sent for her, it says, and finds out that she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her and she came to him. He slept with her. Then she went back home. She conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And so the story is a tragic story of David's adultery. And now there's a, a baby involved and the story goes on. I'm not gonna share the whole story just for time's sake, but it goes on to say that David wanted to cover up his sin. He wanted to cover his tracks. And so David sent for Bathsheba's husband to come home from battle in hopes that Uriah would sleep with his wife and then hopefully assume that that was his child and it would cover up David's sin. Uriah is this man of integrity. And so he returns home and the Bible says that, that he wouldn't even enter into the house. He wouldn't sleep in his bed and he did not sleep with his wife because he could not dishonor the men that were out at, on the battlefield. So David hears about this and realizes his sin is not covered up. And so David then takes it to the next level. What he does is he composes this letter and seals it. And he gives this letter to Uriah and tells Uriah, immediately take this to the commander in charge on the battlefield. When the commander opened it up, he read it. And the charge was to the commander was to send Uriah to the front of the battlefield lines, withdraw the troops so that Uriah would be killed in battle. So now we find David who has committed adultery and now he has committed murder and he's in his darkest time. 
So instead of, of David conquering new territories and expanding his kingdom, instead of David leading his men and representing his nation, instead of David defeating evil, David stayed home and sinned in his life. And, and I have found that so often that with any of us, male or female, that when we stop pursuing our God-given dreams, then it opens the door for the trap of the enemy in our life to divert us and get us off track and do things that we shouldn't do. The Bible says it like this in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. In other words, when they don't have sight of what God has called them to do, they act foolish. They do things they shouldn't do. But when we are involved with what God's called us to do, then, then we'll be in his plan. I'd like to say it like this, if you would. You don't have to worry about doing something wrong if you're busy doing the right thing, right? So, I mean, that's the whole point of this. If David had been doing the right thing, he wouldn't have gotten into trouble doing the wrong thing. And I want to say to all the men in the house that, that God has a, a role for you. He has a purpose for you, a divine calling for you. And if you'll simply do the thing that God has called you to do, you don't have to worry about messing it all up. And too many fathers are like, I just don't know if I can do all this right. Listen, I'm going to tell you three easy things you can do today. If you'll just focus on these three things, you don't have to worry about messing it all up. God's grace will be on you. God's power will be on you. God's anointing will be on you. You just do what you're called to do. Instead of staying at home at war, from war, you go into the battle. You go into parenting. You go into fatherhood. And I promise you, God will take care of the rest. Amen, church? So I want to share with you three things that fathers as a role, if you'll do these things, then you'll find God's blessings on your life. And so I want to look at the life of Jesus, compare it for men on some ways that we can be like Christ, because the definition of, of manhood is Christ's likeness. And so three things that we know about Jesus, that he was a prophet, he was a shepherd, and he was a king. And I want to share these three roles of Jesus and just give men an opportunity to see how they can live out this type of a calling. So we know Jesus as a prophet. Jesus said he was a prophet. It says in Matthew 13, it says that at this point in his ministry, he was ministering and he was rejected. And it says that the people were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. And then Jesus said to them, he said, a prophet, he's speaking of himself, is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. So Jesus is a prophet. What is a prophet? Well, a prophet is a spiritual leader. Primarily, he's a spiritual leader. If we look into the Old Testament, you can learn about prophets really well. The Old Testament prophets, they would, they would help the kings know God's guidance. They would represent God to the nation and they would speak on behalf of God to, to turn the Israelites back to God. Their whole focus of a, of a prophet was to represent God and turn people to worship God. Like instead of following in the wrong way, they'd be like, turn, repent, turn to God, worship God. And so at the heart of a prophet is to be a spiritual leader and to turn people to know God. And so then when we look at the life of, of Jesus, we know that he was a spiritual leader and his passion in life was to was to turn people to God and to, to have their sins forgiven and to know God. He was the, the ultimate in spiritual leader. Jesus embodied the life of a prophet. As a matter of fact, 
He was, he was one that I would say that he was the answer to all prophecy. Not only was he a prophet, but, but he was the answer to it. He was the visible, tangible representation of God to humanity. And that's who Christ is. And so, fathers, how can we be prophets to our family? How can we be the, the spokesperson or the representation of, of a spiritual leader to our family? And how can we help our families serve God and love God? That's what prophets do. They're just like, I want everyone to know God. I want everyone to serve God. I want everyone to have a passion for worship. And that's what prophets do. So fathers, I want to say to us that our primary calling as a father is to be a spiritual leader of our families. That's our primary calling. Just to help our families to serve and worship God. Now, I do want to just throw us out there to all the wonderful spirit-led women in the house. You guys are amazing and you definitely carry influence in your home and you, you set the temperature in your home and, and your influence is, is absolutely recognized. But also I want to say that, that the, the wives and the, the moms, they are simply not called to carry all of the spiritual leadership alone. That fathers carry the responsibility of being leaders in their household. And so fathers, I just want to remind you that you've got this. It's, it's really as simple as this, fathers. That if you will commit your life to Jesus, if you'll commit your heart to following Jesus and, and worshiping God with all your passion, then God in his unique way will take the, the role of a father and the influence you have on a family and you'll find that, that those are the moments that the family begins to also follow God and, and turn their passion to worshiping him as well. It's just the way God works it out. Fathers, you don't have to be like the perfect spiritual person. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to demonstrate your passion for God in front of your family. They'll pay attention and they want to do the right thing. They always do. Fathers, take your children, take your families to church. And listen, you're here. God bless you. Amen. Keep doing that. Pray for your children. Just take responsibility for the spiritual leadership in your family and God will absolutely bless you and your family. Amen, church? You've got this. Number two, Jesus is also seen to be a shepherd. This is probably one of the ways we love to know Jesus as a shepherd. The Bible says this in John 10. These are Jesus' words and he says, I am the good shepherd. I would like to call him the great shepherd, but he calls himself the good shepherd. That good word is probably way better than we know. But I'm the good shepherd, it says, and he says, I know my own sheep. I love the thought of this as a shepherd because he gets down and personalizes it. And he goes, I know my own sheep and they know me. In other words, as a shepherd, he's like, there's a relationship between me and, and the flock. There's a relationship between me and you. He knows us. We get to know him. And then he relates it to this with his relationship with his heavenly father. And he says, just as my father knows me, I know the father. And so to be a shepherd is to be in this close, intimate relationship and Jesus then goes on to say, so he said, I have sacrificed my life for the sheep. So Jesus is the, the good shepherd and he cares for us. And I'm so grateful that he cares for us. 
Matter of fact, you may be in here today and you may be in a place where you need to have the care of our, of our Heavenly Father, the shepherd that cares for us and he, he knows our, our pains and, and he has compassion for us and he brings healing and he carries our burdens and you may need to know that today and, and praise God, he is that for you. This verse teaches us that Jesus is, is intimate with his people. I was doing a quick little study on actual shepherds that watch after real sheep. And one of the, the things that I read was that they, they don't like to put too many sheep in a flock so the shepherd can't keep watch over them individually. And they want the shepherd to have the ability to to know each sheep and be able to recognize if one was sick or one was injured. And he had the ability to, to see and care. And, and he, had the, he had the shepherd's crook. And if one was needing correction or needing healing, he was always there close enough to pull that sheep in to bring the healing that it needs. And so that's the good shepherd for us. He was close enough to us and he cares for us. And so when I think about that as fathers... I think that fathers can, can emulate that in Christ where we can be intimate with our family and we can be close enough to our family to know the individuals in our family and to be able to know if one is hurting and one needs care and one needs encouragement, whatever they need. A, a good father knows his, his family. He's intimate. I would say it like this. Fathers care for their families. And how do fathers care? How do they do it? Well, really with one word, time. And that's really what it boils down to is time. So is it quality time or is it quantity time? Well, it's both. It's, it's, it, you're, you're pouring your life into it. Quality and quantity are what nurtures that intimate relationship. And quality time is where we, we have our attention. We're, we're focused when you're with your children, with your family. Because you can be with family and not be with family. You know that. Like you can be... You know, you can be on the couch, but your brain is at work and you're, you're not there. You can be at the table and you can have your phone out and you're not there. So, so the quality is, is really about how we're, we're present when we're present. Quantity is, is just means you're just completely involved. You're there. You're present. You're, you're encouraging when it's time to be encouraging. You're you're correcting when it's time to be correcting. You're celebrating when it's time to be celebrating. You're teaching when it's time to be teaching. You're coaching when it's time to be coaching. You're at the dance recitals and, and you're, you're meeting the boyfriends and the girlfriends, amen? Like you're there. I, I was reading also about some traits of Jesus and relating to boyfriends and girlfriends and, and Jesus is also known as the lion and the lamb. In other words, Jesus knew when it was time to be tough and he knew when it was time to be tender, right? And so I'll just say to some fathers in the house that when the boyfriends come pick up the girls at the house, it might be the time you show and demonstrate a little lion in your house, you know, and give a little roar. Let them know that these girls are protected in this house. Amen? Amen? Amen. I like it. Listen, men, we, we just got to be present. We got to be there. Tucking your children in at bed at night. I mean, that's, that's a father. And I'll tell you that one of the main things a father can do is just stay home. Simply stay put with your family. Fatherlessness is an 
epidemic in our nation. Fatherless is, is difficult on children. Statistics prove it out. 85% of youth in prison come from a fatherless home. Statistics show that children with an absent father are at higher risk of poor grades and emotional problems and, and substance abuse. And so fathers, our role, it's, it's significant. And our presence really matters. But all you have to do is to be present. I'm not asking you to be perfect. If perfection were the, the, the standard, then we'd all miss it. But there's just something significant about being there and just showing up day after day. And here I am. Fathers, you've got this. Amen? Third thing I'll relate to you, and maybe this is the one that the men have been waiting for. Because as a prophet, you're a spiritual leader. Then you're a shepherd. You're a caring, present, involved dad. But now I get to tell you, dad, you're the king. Woo, you're the king of your castle, man. Yes, yes. And men, you're wise to not clap for that um, um, because that really sounds a lot better than it really is. And men, if you go home, men, and you say to your wife, Pastor Tim said, I'm the king of this house, then I'll meet you for counseling next week and we'll work that out, all right? Listen, Jesus is king, right? Jesus is king. And there's a way for us to understand how fathers can be kings. Jesus is king. We know that. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. The Bible teaches us that all creation will submit to King Jesus and every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. First Timothy teaches us that at just the right time, it says Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and one almighty God. And he'll be representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we know Jesus as king, and this means that he has all authority over spiritual and earthly things. We also can look back at the Old Testament kings, and we see that the Old Testament kings, they were providers for their people. They were protectors for their people. They were responsible for their people, that was the role of a king, to be a, a provider and a protector and just overall responsibility. Today, though, as New Testament believers, we don't look to earthly kings, but our spiritual king. And Jesus is our provider, and Jesus is our protector. And Jesus, as we submit our life to him, we are under his responsibility. He is governing our life, and he makes our life better. So fathers, though, how do we represent that? Well, fathers, I believe that we're called to be providers and protectors and, and just general responsibility leaders for our family. Now, fathers, listen, you don't have to make a lot of money. I'm not here to say that you're, you know, you gotta be a wealthy, a wealthy dad. That's not the point of it. But I do believe that dads ought to be providers for their families. I do believe dads ought to, ought to have a, a faithfulness and they, to, to work and they ought to be hardworking individuals and they ought, to, they ought to give their best for their family and they ought to work hard and they ought to manage their money the best they can. I believe it's just awesome to be able to provide for your family to the best of your abilities. Men should make budgets and help their families live in, in financial health and they ought to Men ought to be those that help plan ahead with their wives to, 
to go, what are our financial needs in the future, and together make a plan and, and, and to work towards that. But I believe that being a provider is, is part of the role of a, of a father. The Bible teaches in 1 Timothy, this won't be on your screen, so I'll just read it to you, but it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, the Bible says they're denied the faith. And so that they're worse than an unbeliever. Like that's a pretty heavy hit. And so listen, I just think the Bible encourages that, that men have the ability to, to, to work and to, to do our best to provide and, and give your all for that. Fathers, we're also called to be protectors. So whether that means you're the lion in the household and maybe there's a time that you, that you have to be a protector and I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and buy a gun. I'm just saying there's a place for us to protect our households. But we also protect our children by providing a roof over their head and, and we are protecting our, our children by providing food on the table and, and just we're protecting their hearts and we're protecting their emotions when we're involved with our children. That's what fathers do. But fathers, you've got this. And listen, you can do these three things. I'm just encouraging you to be a spiritual leader. Live for Christ yourself. Simple as that. Involve your heart, your life in with your children. And then do your best to provide and protect your family. And I believe when you do that, there's God's blessings on it. Amen. So back to David for just a moment. Because David, he made his mistakes. We, we, we see that. We know David's heart, he repented. God punished David for his actions. And, and now we're at a place that I'm going to read to you later in David's life actually near the end of his life. And, and David recognizes his, his weaknesses and, and recognizes, and you know, David understands that if he, had, if he had put his attention where it was supposed to have been, where God wanted it, if he'd put his attention where God wanted it, then he would never have put his attention where God didn't want it. And, and he understood that, and now as he's older, there's a new perspective, and, and age gives perspectives. You understand that. You see things different as you get a little older and a little wiser in years. And so here David is at the end of his life, and he is now having this conversation with Solomon, his son. Solomon was also Bathsheba's son. This was their child together. And we're in these final moments, and, and David is talking to this son in 1 Kings 2, and it says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon. So he's like, hey, these are the wisdom. These are the things that, that I've learned and I wanna give these to you, Solomon, his son. And he says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. And he said to Solomon, he said, so be strong and act like a man. Now, I think we're getting a very shortened version of a conversation. I think when he said to to Solomon, I think he's like, hey, be strong. I think he's like, Solomon, I wasn't always strong. I think he's sharing with him the, the mistakes of his past. It was probably a conversation that Solomon learned some things about his father. And, and he was saying to, to him, be strong because there was a season I wasn't so strong. Now, he may have looked at his son and said, God always redeems and I'm so glad you're here. But son... Learn from my mistakes and be strong. 
And then he said, but I need you to understand that being strong means you act like a man. He's like, you have to put actions to being strong. Like, one thing to be, but we have to act. I think he's saying to his, his son now that is going to take over his dynasty and take over his kingdom. I think he's saying, hey, you cannot act like an immature boy. It's time to to grow up and take responsibility for our nation and for our family and make a decision now to be a man. I love the way one of my favorite old-time preachers said it. Some of you may have heard of Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. He was a great mentor to men, but he said this about men. He said, being a male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. And I like that. I want to close with my perspective. He shared his perspective with Solomon as, a, as an old man. Uh, praise God, I'm not an old man. I'm an older man. But as I reflect on being a father today, with the perspective of being able to look back, and today I have two grown children. They're, they're married and they're thriving in life, and, and now even as, as a grandfather, it gives me a, a view, it gives me a perspective. I have wisdom that I didn't have when I was younger. Because when you're younger and you're just in the middle of it, young fathers are in the room, and you may be at different parts of your parenting where you think, this is so hard. This is so exhausting. This requires so much of me. I mean, being a, a father, being a mother and a, a young family, wow, you do a lot. I, I remember when both my children were involved in everything, school activities and soccer and gymnastics and I remember sitting in the gymnastics room it seemed like hours flipping and twirling I coached both of their old soccer teams and and in Wilmington Saturday morning humid crazy little kids I'd be coaching these little girls they didn't know what they were doing, and I came to win. <laughs> I'd show up, and I'd be like, run! And they're like twirling their hair. <laughs> Bailey's main concern was her ponytail, so that when she would run, it would swish like this. <laughs> and I'd be like, run! It was exhausting, though. I can remember Saturday afternoons, finally getting home, sweat. And I was like, oh, I want to sit on a couch. Nope. They want to go to the pool. It's never ending. And I remember looking back now, I can think back now, and I think of those times. And I, and I have a perspective today, though, because in it, when you're in it, you, it, it just seems to be such a sacrifice. And yes, it may be. But my perspective today isn't that 
It's a sacrifice of time. Now I look back at it as a privilege of my time. I look back at it now and, and, and I'll just be honest with you, just in, in, not in a place of regret, but I look back at those days and there are so many times I think, I'd love to just jump right back in the middle of it again. Perspective. And so I just want all the, the younger families in the room to know that what seems like an investment will turn out to be a reward for you in your parenting. There's no greater reward in my life and in Harriet's life. There's no greater success than for me fathering. And I'm so honored that I got to be a father. The Bible says in Psalms 127 that children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Joyful and blessed is this man whose quiver is full of them. And so it's teaching us that the children are your, are your little warriors, you know, and you're going to raise them up to go out and do whatever God's called them to do. And, and in that, though, in the moment it may seem hard in that training, but the day comes when you're going to feel the joy of God in it, you're going to feel the blessings of it, and you're going to be so happy that your quiver was full of them. I want to say to the single moms in the room who may be feeling the, the brunt right now and you're like, well, what about me? And I want you to know that the reason you're in church and you've joined a spiritual family is you actually have been adopted in under the greatest father of all time. And I want you to know that as you pursue God, that he'll fill that void of a natural father in your home. And you don't have to worry about your kids being a statistic. And he'll be the father to the fatherless. And so, so to all those single moms, God's got you and you've got this. But sometimes I've been asked, and I mean this in humility, but a little bit of pride, because I'm so proud of our children. It's the right kind of pride. But I've been asked, you know, how did you do it? And honestly, it's the three things I just shared with you. It wasn't to perfection. I've shared my faults in this church before. I tell you, I've missed the mark enough times. But I gave my all to be a spiritual leader in my family. And, and without a doubt, I was deeply committed to being involved in my family. And I worked my butt off to give them every opportunity to succeed. And it was worth everything I ever put into it. So fathers, you've got this. Young or old. The older we get, we just get to celebrate and cheer on our children. And give them a little coaching and guidance from the outside. Fathers, I love you. I'm proud of you. Fathers, would you do me a favor, young or old, would you stand to your feet for just this moment? Proud of you. Proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Be strong. Be strong. And act like the man God called you to be. 
And he'll bless you. That's what the word said. He'll bless you. That's his promise. Father, I thank you for these men. Men of God. Fathers. Thank you for fathers in this house. I pray you bless them in their homes. And I pray, God, that you would help them to show up in this church as, as fathers and be mentors. And the church needs strong men. We're so grateful to have you. And so, Lord, bless all the fathers in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give them one more clap, church? You can be seated. I shared kind of three ways that fathers can emulate Jesus. And there's one here that I didn't share because, fathers, we can't do it. And that's it, to be a savior. We know Jesus as a savior. And fathers, we, we're not dying for anyone's sins. And if you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to share this with you that you're loved by God. He cares about you deeply. He's a good shepherd and he cares for you individually. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. The reality is all of us have missed the mark. We've sinned. It's separated us from God. And that's that separation. Sin separates us from God. Jesus, he came. His passion as the answer to all the prophets to come and be the representation of God and to die for our sins so that we can have that relationship with God. And so he came to earth, he died. He was put on a cross, he was punished for mine and your sins. That punishment set us free. We're forgiven. And we know our heavenly father because of that. There is something for us to do though and that's to accept the gift of eternal life to accept Jesus as our Savior today. And I want to take this amazing Father's Day to invite people to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So would you just bow your heads in this real holy moment? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch the hearts of people that have never made a decision. Holy Spirit, would you draw them to you? Maybe you've never heard the message of salvation until today. I want you to do this one simple thing. If you're ready to take your next step, to have your sins forgiven, and have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, if you do this one thing right now, in your heart, would you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe just right now, in your own words, head bowed, just say, I believe. He is my Lord and Savior, I believe. And now would you take one more step? Would you just lift your hand and if you just made that decision, if you just, in your most simple words, say, I believe, would you raise your hand? I would love to see any hands that are here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, we all love you. We thank you for being our heavenly Father. And we surrender our life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our service as we have been doing. And this is our moment where we, we respond to God. And it's been an amazing day in church without a doubt. But we're not finished. And at this point, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go to these tables that are in the back. If you're new to us, you can, you'll leave your seat. And there's a little cup there. And it's got 
a little wafer in it, a little juice, and, and you can take that cup and bring it back to your seat and you can take communion today. Communion is where we remember Christ, that he, he died for our sins and he forgave us and that's how we have this brand new life. And so you take that cup, open it and eat of the bread, drink of the juice that represents his body and blood that were shed for us. So if you're new, please take communion today. Also on the sides, there are gonna be prayer leaders there. People that wanna pray for your needs. We're a spirit-filled church, which means we believe in the power of God to heal, to set free, to deliver. And we believe that he's a good shepherd. He cares about your needs. And if you'll go to him, I believe that God will do a miracle in your life. And so whatever your need is, go to someone in prayer. And then we're also just gonna close with this amazing moment of worship. And so when we stand in just a moment, don't hesitate. Go ahead and go get prayer, get communion, or just lift your hands in worship. So Father, we love you. Thanks for this day. And God, we wanna take this final moment in our service. Take communion to remember Jesus or to go to get prayer and receive what you have for us. But God, as much as anything, we wanna lift our hands in worship and say we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet and you're free to go get communion and prayer.